listeners to this behind-the-scenes episode with Latinx Lit Audio Mag. I'm your host, Teresa Douglas, and today we're going to be talking to Tack Ezinger. Tack is an American-Swiss poet and artist with a Colombian background. Her poetry has been featured in Bien Acompaña from Cornell University, The Muse from McMaster University, River and South Review, The Welter, and more. Her debut chapbook entitled Found Between the Trees was published by Grey Border Books Canada in 2019. Erzinger's most recent poetry collection, At the Foot of the Mountain, Floricanto Press, California 2021, has been announced by the University of Indianapolis Etchings Press as the Whirling Prize winner for 2021 for Best Nature Poetry Book. She lives in a Swiss valley with her husband and cats. Welcome, Tack. Hi, thanks for having me, Teresa. <laughs> I'm really glad to have you here. And and I have to say that the nice thing, the extra nice thing about having you on the podcast is we always start by asking what your favorite comfort food is. But I, I think we've had a hint uh, at some of the foods that you love from your piece. So I am really, really excited because it's all about food on this podcast, even though it's literary. I'm really excited to find out of all the things you've eaten, what is your favorite comfort food? It's definitely something Colombian. Um, there, it's difficult. I would say there's a stew called Sancocho that I absolutely adore. But there, I also love arroz con pollo. Uh, I'm not a vegetarian. I love chuletas, pork chuletas. It's really... It's between those three, but it's definitely mm. something that I cook regularly, and it it's very uh, close to my heart. <laughs> I I love I love that you can't settle on one thing. Um, I, I feel like there are favorite food moods. So something we like in the winter, or maybe when we're we're upset, any comfort, or we're happy, or we're feeling nostalgic. I, I feel like that whole repertoire of food. It's just, there's too many good things to, to just settle on one. So, so thank you for, for being in, in the same camp I am on that. Absolutely. I mean, eating is so, I know we live in a complicated world, but to me, it's just so wonderful to sit down and share a meal with loved ones or friends and to, to be blessed to have the food in front of us and just to be able to, to either cook or go to a good restaurant and partake over, over something delicious and, and exchange words. I think that's something very special. It is. It's special and it's primal. And, and we feel, well, we're going to talk about this more. I always get ahead of myself on this podcast. But before we talk about some of the wonderful things that, that food does for us as humans, let, let's talk a little bit more about you and, and start with when did you begin writing? I think... The first time I really began writing poetry, I was a sophomore in high school. I was 15. And it was a very difficult time because my mom, um, my parents had been separated, but their divorce had become finalized. And she actually left where I, I I grew up between Kentucky and Florida and she moved back to Florida and I was going through a lot being raised by my dad and there was just a lot of complications and being a teenager. So I started kind of writing to try to work through some things and I had um, 
my high school English teacher, I really felt akin to him. I really liked him. And I decided to be brave and show him some of my poetry. And it was so embarrassing because, I mean, it was wonderful, but also embarrassing. He was really taken by the two poems I had shared with him. And without asking me, he read them to his seniors honors class. I was a sophomore. He read it to the seniors. And then I had people coming up to me that I respected, you know, when you're in high school saying, oh, I really liked this poem or like, this resonated with me. Okay, they used more simple language, but and um, yeah. he told me you've got something there. You need to pursue this. So I was doing dabbling it from fifteen on, but really started to pursue it um, intensely, I guess, or or regularly in seventeen. So yeah, about maybe six six seven years ago, and started to pursue that. It, it's just thinking about your, your time as, as a teenager and having that, it, it seems so crucial at any point, however old you are as a writer, to have that, that person who, who actually takes you seriously, who, who looks at something and says, wow, you, you're writing things that, that other people should see, even if it's embarrassing. I, I, I feel like as writers, we, we have this sensitivity to our, our work and it's like showing up sort of naked in front of everybody, yes, <laughs> which is, is a weird, yeah. And it's it's a weird sort of thing where you feel vulnerable, but you also have that urge to to put these words out there and, and who who we are as as humans and, and share. It's it's a lot like food, which again <laughs> I'm not going to talk about yet because although I'm dying to, so so yes, that that's amazing and. And do you like, I mean, obviously we're talking about poetry, so it sounds like besides creative nonfiction, there are other loves that you have. Is Do you write in poetry and nonfiction equally? Do you write other things? Tell me, tell me all about it. Okay. Well, I write... I'm very prolific with poetry. I write poetry, but I'm taking a little hiatus because I'm about to go on summer break. But on average, I write probably one or two poems a week. But mm. I did start last spring um, to write my first real – I've started two books. But there's one that I really want to finish by this winter. Um, it's scary, though. It's very daunting. And it's fiction. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the first time I've actually taken that step um, in that direction. I took a creative writing course, a distant learning over a couple of years from Manchester. It's called um, – oh, what's it called? The Writer's Bureau. <laughs> I went blank for a minute. And I had a tutor and a mentor there who graded all of my assignments. And she's also a professional writer from, from the south of England, originally Irish. And so she read some of my chapters, actually, for part of my assignment – and she said, go for it. Like, I really think you should turn this into a book. So I'm about halfway nice. through it, but it's scary. <laughs> it's a scary process. It's different than poetry because poetry is so, you know, you have like like a fiction, you have a beginning, a middle and an end, but it's this neat little package. It can be messy mm-hmm. poetry, it can be long, it can be short, but you have this kind of end product, this little story, whereas a book, I don't know, it's something else entirely. Yeah, it's a shaggy beast, especially if you're in the middle of it. <laughs> exactly. And where is it? You know, where is it going? Maybe you had an idea at the beginning, and I, I feel like in some ways books are like grad school, where you enter <laughs> at one point with an idea of what you're going to do. Uh, somewhere in the middle, you wonder who you were when you d- made that decision because it's not doing the same thing, and by the end, it may be totally different. So, um, yes, yes, absolutely. I agree with you. And I think for me too, I need to be 
part, a big chunk of it that I wrote, I was away. I took like a little writer's retreat away from everything, my day-to-day life. And I need to do that again because I am so easily distracted. And when mm-hmm. I was there for that week away and really – I mean, I wrote intensely every day. I was going for walks in the morning for two hours and then coming back and writing until the evening. So that ca- those characters were developing and they were walking with me. They were having breakfast with me. They were having lunch with me. They were sitting on the lakeside with me. So all I had yeah. to do was focus on that and not washing the dishes or working in the garden or, you know, ironing my husband's clothes or getting my stuff ready or teaching my online class. Like I could just focus on that. And I think that's what... um what a lot of writers need actually probably or that's just my idea just just to get out of the routine and it's that not everybody can do that um i I don't know if i've spoken about my children on this podcast but they need to eat every day darn them (laughs) i mean just there's you would think could they take a pause no no they they need (laughs) to eat so it's just all of those things that that take your time and having that that moment where you can really just live with your characters and you know, embody them or however it is someone's writing prices process happens because it's it's different for everybody but having that time is is wonderful so yes i hopefully you will you will have that time where you can take another week where you're just away from everything and you don't have to worry about the tyranny of dinner or laundry or whatever it is that exactly that ruins the writing time Shame on it. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And and can can we hear what the other book is? The other book fiction too? Is it nonfiction or um the well the, the original one was called Stella's Constellation and I actually worked um it came out in March twenty one. I worked over almost a year with a guy named Ooh. Chris Gregory. He um has a it's called Altern Alt Stories and Fake Realities podcast. It's really, really great. It's out of the UK. And we got connected through another writer and I sent him the this. It was sort of like a short story of Stella's Constellation. And I said, could we turn this into an audio drama? I had never done anything like that before. So he walked me through it. We changed the script. We turned it into a script. Um, it was a wonderful process. He helped me to cast professional actors, stage actors, Ooh. and voiceover actors from the UK. And uh, then he produced that with sound, with everything. It's, it's wonderful. If you ever get a chance to, to listen to it, you can find it on Spotify. And it's called Stella's Constellation. And that came out in March 21. So that was something I would love to turn into a book. But it I don't know, it's sort of like, what happened is I was working through that, I was kind of outlining it after I had done the, the short story part. But then another idea, really another story idea came to me so clearly mm-hmm. that outlined everything that I'm like, no, I have to do this one first. Yeah, and that's the book I'm working on. That that. That particular, it is so different from anything I've done before because the the new the book that I really want to finish by winter, um, I've called the title "The Librarian," and it's kind of like what do they call that? There's like a, a buzzword for it. I'm not going to say it right, but it's like it's kind of science fiction fiction, and I'm not really a science fiction person, but it's it's mm-hmm. got a lot of philosophy in there. It's actually a story about a mother and a daughter on the run, and. So I, 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 it's interesting how suddenly I've gone into this whole other genre. But the way I was um, in the mountains with my husband, and we were spending a lot of time in a place called Graubünden. His parents have a little, um, like a holiday house there, and it's really you, you, we don't even have cell phone access when we're up there. And uh, 
I don't know something about that area. And this idea sort of took place about this mother and daughter. And I'm always curious about mother and daughter relationships because mine with my own mother is very complicated and complex. And so I just started to think about this story. I don't want to give too much away because that's all oh, I'll yeah. say now. But um, yeah, it's kind of my baby right now. But it's scary, like I said, to working through that. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, I can't wait to to hear when it gets agented and, and optioned, and, and we'll probably see it in the movies later. But from the little bit thank you shared, you. I am intrigued. So thank you. Very we'll leave much. it at that, and we'll we'll talk we'll talk about the piece that you, you've actually published with us <laughs> here on Latinx Lit. Um, it, uh, again, it's such a lovely piece, and I have to tell you that one of the things that I loved about it the most when when I was reading it not just the first time, but, but the last few times that I've read it, is how sensual in, in the old, old-fashioned uh, term this, this piece is because there's there's so much food. There's the idea of, of what food is and talking about the, the, the teeth like, uh, excuse me, the garlic that, that's like teeth when you pull them off the cloves and, and chopping mm-hmm. things and and people falling in love over food it it just so much of it is grounded in in that intimacy of of sensation is probably the the best way and i'm i'm looking at my second screen here and, and pulling pulling your piece up and just this idea of how many memories of food are entwined around the people that are that are the most important or significant to you throughout your life. And and I would love to hear what the, the first impetus was for this piece. Like what what was the spark that caused you to write it and how did you go about writing it? I think the impetus was really well, thank you for all that. Thank you for recognizing the sensuality of it. I want to say that. I think you really get it. Thank you for seeing that and, and, and embracing that. I think the impetus, to be quite honest with you, was homesickness. And mm-hmm. there's different types of homesickness. I think, um, you know, we, we move away maybe from our parents' home and maybe we're even in the same town or we move further afield, you know, to go to university or whatever. Or we, we leave countries like I did. Or people pass. I think homesickness can also do with to be like face when people pass away you know mm. it's it's things sometimes people ask me here well don't you ever get homesick and I say well yes I do but I'm homesick for something that no longer exists and yeah. I think that's where for me the food is such a it's so like a lot of people let's say I live in Switzerland I'm I'm a naturalized Swiss citizen I've been here 20 years and then they, oh, well, she's American. Oh, but she, where are you from? Are you Italian? What are you? You know, and I'm like, actually, I'm half Colombian. Yes, I'm American. That sort of gets chopped off here in Europe. But when I was in, in America, I was really Latina. Like, you know, my friends, mm-hmm. my family around. My husband, he's got to witness that with my mom and my family, my abuela, before she passed away. But it's a part of me that's kind of become faded. I don't know how to say that really. It's or diluted or, but it's still very much alive in me. And when I feel down or I I miss people that no longer are living or that maybe the connections are not as strong anymore for whatever reason, maybe it's circumstance, maybe it's because relationships changed. I go back into the kitchen and I start to, you know, like you said, with the, the teeth of the garlic, chopping, crushing them with my hands, getting the smells going, using the, the um, spices, the herbs, all those things. And 
I'm taking it right back into a place. Maybe it's in my aunt's kitchen with the woman who used to clean her house that was, um, you know, from Honduras. We we're Colombian. She's from Honduras, but we would sit down together and all eat a meal and drink a beer and share laughs, listen to beautiful music. And then it's like, I feel maybe if I'm a little bit down or feeling homesick, I feel less down because I have that spirit of those moments through the food, if that makes sense. It, it absolutely does. And, and I feel like even, even if you aren't somebody who has moved away to another country, I have moved to another country. And, and that idea of how, how Latina are you if you're not surrounded by your, your family or, or some of your culture and those connections it's a thing. It's a big thing. And how do you reacquaint yourself with that part of yourself when you're not surrounded by it at all? Exactly. And there's not like, let's say when I lived in South Florida before I moved here, I, I could go out and, you know, go to have, uh, if I didn't want to cook myself, I could go quickly to a Colombian restaurant, maybe even Colombian fast food or Cuban or Puerto Rican or whatever, you know, anything to have access to that culture. Or my friends, you know, we spoke in Spanglish, some of my dear friends that I left behind in Florida. And that's all gone. And it's like, there's not so much of that here. So it's trying to recreate that in my, in my kitchen. And, um, it just it brings something alive. There's a wonderful book. I don't know. I, I read it for the first time. It came out when I was probably, I think, 18. Maybe I, it's um, like Water for Chocolate by um, mm-hmm. Laura, Laura Esquivel. And I think I quote that actually even in my my uh, that I that there's the piece I wrote for you. And it's just that 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 book. And then later on the film. It's just the way in which they use the recipes, and the way yes. food is so ingrained. It just touched my heart. Like. It's like, yes. And I think a lot in any Asian cultures, any African, but also Latinx cultures, it's such a strong, or south of the United States, southern food, you know, it's just, it's so ingrained in our identity, more than maybe some of us realize. Yeah, It is. And and I love that, that overtly in, in your own life, you understood that. And just this idea of, of making food is almost a, you know, we have these dating profiles these days. I, I've never used an online dating profile. I've been married <laughs> since the time of the flood, basically. Um, but people have these dating pro- tail, profiles and you put your likes, your dislikes and, and your deal breakers. Probably I'm making that up. I don't know. But I love that the food for you was was a sort of an inflection point in your own relationship. And that if your then boyfriend couldn't understand it or, or didn't like it, that that was going to be a problem. And and how that was a test almost because mm-hmm. food is so important. And even even if you can't have your your other cultural signifiers around you, it, and it's hard to get chilies, right? Let's just put it that if it's colder. But but <laughs> you can still make you can still make some of the foods and it, you're carrying your culture with you. And, and just this idea that, that again, you fell in love over food, that, that like Water for Chocolate, where every time the, the character's feelings were strong, it would come out in, in mm-hmm. these things. And, and how your, your then-husband, fast forward, seemed to get that and imbued that to you. I mean, my goodness, that was such a romantic section of this piece, this idea that he not only took in this food and and accepted, but he also shared it back to you at a point 
when you really needed it. And it, it was just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it really... Um He's really ran with it, and I'm really appreciative of that because our cultures are so different. I mean, Swiss to Colombian is like, I don't know, polar opposites. But the fact that he so embraced it, and like you said, thank you for recognizing that, like that he really saw that I um, – maybe was having a hard time and and to take it upon himself to cook it the way my mother or my relatives had cooked it was just like, wow, okay, you really get it. It really touched me. That's true. It was very romantic gesture. That is, yeah. And to get the spices right, all the things, the fish, just, I mean, he didn't use a recipe. (laughs) He just, uh, that really, that shocked me because he really just got it from the feeling. And that's kind of how we all cook too. It's these, as you probably know, recipes are just passed and you don't really measure. You just kind of go with the feeling and maybe you use a little bit more of this or a little less of this, but it more or less tastes the same. Yeah, Yeah. it's taste as you go. Use your hand as you're putting the spices Mm -hmm. in the middle. Like that that little mound looks like that much. And And just to kind of go on with that, I mean, I think the theme of food and and the the intimacy of food is so very apparent in this piece. If, If you were going to talk to somebody who read this piece or listen to it rather on, on the podcast, mm-hmm. what, what sort of impression would you like them to leave with after having listened to the piece? I think I would hope that regardless of cultural background, it would help encourage them or elicit them to reflect on their own experiences through their own family, through their through their own identity with food. I would hope that it would leave a warm feeling, a feeling of like, um, I, I don't know what the right word is, but just this kind of comfort feeling. Because mm-hmm. I think like, you know, music uh, and, this, and smells, in this case, it has to do more with smells and tastes, they can take you right back to a place. So I would hope that it would um, kind of transcend culture and be able to bring that person to their own background, whether they're American from the deep South or I don't know, or, or, you know, um, maybe from Asia somewhere from Vietnam, but they're able to still have that kind of feeling after listening to the story of their own particular experiences that they've had um, with food through their family, through their relationships and whatnot. I mean, for some people, food is not that important. Let's say, you know, I don't know, but I do think that it, it can, it can connect us to a place. And I would hope that. It connects us so deeply. And, and what I love too about, about this piece is not only are you talking about those connections and talking about that comfort but even at the very end you you offer it to us to all, everyone who is who is interacting with this piece with the recipes um, that you that you offer at the end and I was very hungry by the end I have to say um, haven't, <laughs> but I haven't good. tried making the plantains but I'm going to if I can find one in Canada <laughs> they're just, you probably can, you know I, at first I couldn't find them here in Switzerland now I can and they're just they're so delicious they're kind of like a potato and, and you don't even need mm-hmm. a, a plantain smasher you can just use like the bottom of a of a mug a coffee mug and yeah. um but I, I think that, you know, it's it's really, it's about breaking bread. I think that's the most important. It's, it's how we break bread with people. I always, my aunt used to have a saying, my tia Clara, 
um, when I lived with her to help her and my abuela out the last year in Florida, I was teaching before I moved to Switzerland. And, and sometimes I'd have a friend, a stray friend after work, I was teaching full-time primary school and she'd be like, bring her over. She's like, Tanya, when two can eat, more can eat. And I like that philosophy, that kind of idea, like of, putting a chair around the table, you know, come, 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 eat, enjoy, have another one. I don't ever and ever want anyone to leave my table like my aunt, that they feel hungry. I'd rather they feel um, some kind of warmth and uh, satiated, not just from the food, but also from the conversation, from the host. I, I think that's just a really nice thing, yeah. and we shouldn't forget about that. Yeah. Just that, that hospitality, the, the idea that we cook for you because we like you, and there's always room for you at the table. Even if you're, exactly. you don't live here, at the, you know, where the table is, there's room. Mm-hmm. Come, come enjoy. Come, come feel the comfort. Well, I, I feel yes. like this conversation is comforting, I have to say. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I just I just wanted to add something. That's what was really hard during the pandemic as well, like not being able to meet up with people, not being able to like – you know, share that meal or have people over. And then afterwards, you know, trying to look to that they were safe um, when they came, if I was preparing something, having it separate, you know, separate bowls for everybody and things like that. I think that's something that I, I found very challenging. And I guess we all did in a way. Yeah. Yeah, Because you can't, it's, it is hard. Well, and, and for a lot of the reasons, I think we, we can all sort of get, just the idea that you were sharing but not sharing, like bring your bowl of food, feels a little antiseptic um, yeah. when you're having people over. But but hopefully, you know, as we as we all progress here, we're, we're feeling safer. And in other parts of the country, wherever we are, it, you know, the rules are different. But mm-hmm. ah, food, it's it just it's a thing that we need to share. We just we need it. it it's a piece yeah. of us. Well, absolutely. Talk, this is. It's been lovely having you here, and, and you write a lot of different things. You, you've had some things that have published, other things like a book that will be published you know, soon or, or maybe next year. How can people keep track of, of your writing and, and follow you to see when these things come up? Well, they can um, go on to Instagram. I'm at TacKertzinger. They can go there. They can also uh, on on Facebook. I'm I'm also poetry vag- vagabond on Facebook. Takiert Singer. I have a website. It's also uh, Takiert Singer poet. It's a Wix site that I try to keep mm-hmm. updated. It's it's my. I mean, I do it myself. Um, one of the things I wanted to tell you, Teresa, because I'm really happy it happened at, at the beginning of the month. My book at the foot of the mountain. It actually uh, was a finalist for the International Book Awards. So wow. it's brought me a lot of happiness. Yeah, I'm really, really excited that uh, it was recognized also for nature poetry. And I wanted to add that. Somehow I forgot to tell you. Yeah. You know, so. that's amazing. What? How is it that uh, this is a writerly thing where we're, we, I mean, not, we could get this amazing award and then we don't tell anybody about it. So yeah, okay. I just, <laughs> here. Well, that's amazing. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. At the foot of the mountain, yeah, it's brought me a lot of a lot of joy. It's really, it was a book of healing, and it's brought some really good things, and I'm I'm just really proud of it. So, yeah. where where can people find the book that just won? Um, it's that all was kind, it's all sorts of distribution. So, like, I guess one of the easiest places is on, on Amazon. You can find it, order mm-hmm. it on Amazon, but it's available if you just put at the foot of the mountain, Tack Ertzinger. There's all different kinds of uh, book distributors that comes up, and you can order it. But I would say Amazon Wonderful. is probably the easiest. 
Yeah. So listeners, um, if you like to read awesome work, uh, we at the foot of the mountain sounds like it would be a great summer read. Uh, so please, please do, do, do that as we help each other and buy each other's books, uh, more people, there's more room for, for Latinx writing because it's popular. So thank you so much for thank that. You very thank much. you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's really, um, it's been a lovely journey with you. I'm really looking forward to hearing the podcast and what you do with it. And um, yeah, it's been lovely talking to you. You're a wonderful interviewer. (laughs) 